Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Happy Tuesday. Happy Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me Tuesday. <laughs> Welcome back. Um, it's March. Is it officially been a year yet? No, not till March 14th. Okay. So it'll be another week. Next week, we can say it's been a year. Next week, we can say it's been 52 weeks of lockdown. <laughs> I mean, I find it hard to say that because we did have some brief months in the summer where everything felt normal. Right. But normal-ish. Yeah, totally. I was still like, you know, wearing, we were still like wearing masks at work and, and working like half of the amount we normally would. Yeah. So. And not completely making out strangers all the time. Just me. Not completely <laughs> making out. <laughs> I'm like never really doing that. No, no. You uh, so, you have a boyfriend. But I, I mean, listen, if you want to make out strangers, I'll make out with you. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep the makeouts within your bubble. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Doesn't mean I haven't been hanging out with my friends. <laughs> Very true. All right. I was telling Corinne earlier that I'm starting. I was feeling crazy today, guys. So I don't know if it's like the sun or I don't know what it is. It's my mood, maybe. <laughs> I had more than five hours of sleep or more than four hours of sleep last night for the first time in like a few days. So wow. Wow. It's a big day for you. It is a big day. Thank you, Corinne. And apparently we're trying to talk into the future right now, but who knows what could happen between when we're recording this right now, Thursday the 4th, and it coming out on Tuesday the 9th. But we're supposed, we have no idea. we're supposed to move out of lockdown and into the gray zone. But now that I'm fucking looking at the thing on my computer next to me, it says lockdown is the gray zone. What does this mean? Listen, nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> nobody knows. But what we do know is that um, it was Corinne's birthday last week. And we're celebrating it this weekend. So it would have been, if you're listening to it, obviously on Tuesday, we celebrated it this past weekend. Yeah, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Um, should you just like why don't you just like say a tagline like if like like speaking to yourself in the future like as if it had already happened like just say like a tagline or like just be like say something that makes it feel like it's it happened already does that make sense i'm still hung over <laughs> perfect bellissimo mm. that's what i hope i hope three days later i'm still hung over it's so fun much fun doing that <laughs> JK, obviously that sounds terrible, but like maybe probably kind of real now that I'm fucking almost 30. What was the worst hangover you had this year, do you think, throughout COVID? I don't know the answer to this question. I I don't. (laughs) And also it's called a podcast, Corinne. So obviously (laughs) hundreds of people that are watching it, right? Listening to it right now don't know the answer, which is why I'm asking you. Probably the couple days after drag brunch. Oh, really? I mean, just from like the shenanigans, probably. I like can't remember. What did you lose? Sorry, what shenanigans? <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Corinne <laughs> lost everything <laughs> drag bunch day. And I never lose things, people. Never. It's not really, it's not, it's not my drunk move. My drunk move is like breaking my phone. My drunk move is like calling boys. Yeah, calling people. Calling people. Uh, my drunk move is not losing everything. I lost my phone. I lost my keys. I lost my wallet. I lost everything in my purse. I lost Rainy's sunglasses, which she specifically told me not to lose. As we were going out the door, I was like, please don't lose these. I just got them. <laughs> which I replaced them. I replaced you them. You did. You did a great job. Yeah. And eventually you did find some of your stuff. Yeah. 
it because we left it on a table at the Under bar table. that you work at. Right. <laughs> right. That's yeah. Nice. So it was after nice. drag brunch for you. That was the most hungover you've ever been? I think this summer. During COVID. During COVID. During yeah. COVID, I think. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I think so. I thought maybe after when we were on the boat. Mm, yes. But that was that was my second thought. But we probably the shame spiral from the drag brunch would have would have been the reason the shame spiral and the fact that I couldn't get into my own apartment that I had to come to you guys I was knocking <laughs> on your door at like midnight yeah also like the fact that it was midnight and we were all like so trashed and I'd already like left you showed up at my house at nine in the morning with a bottle of Prosecco and was like let's go <laughs> and I had finished work at like four in the morning <laughs> yeah I think the shame spiral from that was pretty bad the shame spiral from the boat was also pretty bad mm-hmm. that we're all that's all we're gonna say about the the boat experience <laughs> we were boat people we're boat people now I guess anyway what is your what is everybody's worst hangover through COVID been. It's interesting because we haven't had, we obviously don't have as big of a repertoire to speak to on our hangovers as we usually do. Right. But there is a brief, I mean, we've all been drinking at home. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all been drinking like wine out of the fridge or, you know, just throwing vodka and gin into any meal possible. But I think that it's important to recognize what your worst hangovers have been. <laughs> Yes. in our self-reflection process throughout COVID. Yeah. I mean, maybe my worst COVID hangover will be, you know, Sunday to 7th. I don't know. You know, again, also, I can't really say what's happening for your birthday. I may not have anything planned. Maybe you're just going to show up and we're just going to hang out and watch movies. I mean, I'd be okay with that too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I asked someone the, this question the other day. I was like, do you think we're going to get bubbles back? Like, is that concept going to come back or is it just going to be like a free-for-all? I think it's going to be a free-for-all. I think people are fucking over it. If they haven't had it already, they're not as scared of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think like the, the bubbles, how can I like word this? The bubbles that like, the bubbles that we told people we had were different than the bubbles we actually had. Mm, yeah. And I think if now people are just going to be more openly speaking about how like multiple people are in their bubbles. Yes. Know? And they're not like, I don't give a shit who's in your bubble. You're yeah. You know, like the first time everybody was like, I'm in your bubble. You're in my bubble. That's it. Or like, who else mm-hmm. are you seeing? And we were like being very like interrogating interrogation yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And it was weird for people that were like dating. Ugh, girl, you know, it's still fucking weird. Yeah. Like, how do I, how do I, how do I move from like FaceTime dates to real dates without you already being in my bubble? Right. And then if you're yeah. already in my bubble, should we just be having sex already? Also, like, is it worth taking the two-week chance on either end to hang out with someone? That's the mm-hmm. thing. Interesting. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> enough about hangovers. I'm glad you guys got a glimpse into our lives today. If you want to hear more about our lives, go to our Patreon, guys. Um, you can oh, actually yeah. donate, like, $1. Do you hear that fucking segue? That was, uh, you know? wow, that was, like, the best segue that's ever come out of your mouth. <laughs> Usually we're so awkward. <laughs> Man, I'm good at segueing now. This I think I'm getting when, better at it. This is what happens when you get sleep. When I get sleep, I'm just good at segueing. <laughs> just killing it. Man, I'm killing it. If you want to hear more about our lives, like we just talked about, um, 
<laughs> go to our Patreon, guys. You can actually subscribe for like $1 a month, which is $12 throughout the year. You can subscribe for three, five, seven, 10, 20, 50 if you really want to be a baller and really, really become one of our close pals. Um, you can actually subscribe monthly and you get, because you're a Patreon, you actually get access to Fast Five videos, different types of pictures, um, little videos of me and Corinne just chatting. You just get a little bit more from your entire Gal Pal experience. Yep. And if you donate at the lowest level, which is $1 a month, you get access also to every single video episode of the podcast and not just audio. If you want to mm-hmm. watch us hang out with our guests, that's there. Watch our real-time expressions to every question yeah and our real-time cat interruptions you know yeah it happens that's the real that's the real gem of the content um on that note this week we have Aisha yeah visual artist poet activist how else does she describe herself soon to be therapist soon to be therapist yes yeah that was a really interesting topic for us to talk about yeah, it was really great. And if you don't follow her, guys, go on and follow her. We do have a little bit of a discussion about Instagram and art and mental health and art. So go check her out. Conversation is really lovely and she's a really wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Hi, everyone. My name is Aisha and I'm an artist. So Aisha, you are an interdisciplinary artist um, and you gained like lots of popularity on Instagram. Um, how did gaining popularity on Instagram help you feel, um, or did it, I guess, make you feel more confident about your work? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like it's both made me more confident and also not necessarily done the opposite, but I think it's definitely also had in a way like not so positive impacts on me as an artist. I think, um, in terms of the positive impacts, I think, yeah, it's totally like been a confidence boost, Mm -hmm. um, especially like as I've gained more of a following it kind of feels like I don't have to worry so much about the content anymore I know that like you know the numbers will be there or Mm. um, I've kind of figured out the formula as to how to like gain a following Um, so yeah it definitely feels like I don't necessarily have to like produce my content as much in order to feel like there's a result Mm. Um, but at the same time, it also really shows you what people like and what people don't like. Mm. And I often have found that the pieces of my art that I don't like are what other people resonate with the most, which are often like more of the, like kind of leaning on the like cliche side of things. Or even like if I was to make a post that like had anything to do with love, like that's a super like repostable topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then like the weirder pieces of the pieces that may not make as much sense that I tend to like more don't get as much traction. Mm-hmm. And so then like in drawing, I'm like, do I follow my gut which is often the route I choose Mm -hmm. to go down but there's also this other side of it that's like well I know what's going to get the likes or I know what's going to you know gain more followers or whatever and it can be hard to not go down that route when it's so obvious Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's very I mean like what I hear when you say that is it's almost like I always hear that thing with acting is that when you always do movies it's like one for you and one for them and do you kind of follow like a similar formula for when you're creating now because you're struggling with like, I want to create this, but they want this? Yeah, um, I think initially I was doing that. Like initially when I started to notice this trend of what was kind of more, I guess, not popular, but what would just gain more um, of an audience, I felt like there was more of that pull to do that. But now I 
have kind of come to a point where I don't really care. And I felt like it was kind of, it was feeling exhausting to just like want, feel this urge to make art and then Mm. not be able to do what I wanted to do or feel Mm. like there was this pull to, you know, making my work more cliche or more, um, whatever, whatever it was. And so I think now I'm a lot better at just being like, I don't care what, other people think or I don't care what the numbers look like and I'm just going to like follow my own gut and my own heart um yeah I'm curious because when you talked to sent us your little packet you said I could do what I wanted in the way that I wanted to do it how Mm -hmm. long did that process happen for you um I feel like it's been like a an ebb and a flow it's not necessarily been like a steady rise of like I wasn't confident and now I kind of do whatever I want it's kind of been like going in and out of it but um I guess it started growing up I was always like into art and was always kind of making art but I never really did digital art and I also never really shared it online it was always just like drawing in sketchbooks in my room and then putting them on the shelf um but I remember when I was not I think I was either 18 or 19 and I went on a trip to San Francisco and we went to Uh, SF MoMA I think it's called and like San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and there was a David Shrigley exhibit and he had clipped his toenails for five years and put them in a jar and then there was that was literally part of the exhibit was his toenail clippings and I remember being 18 and seeing that and, and I was like if he can make whatever he wants and literally clip his toenails and have this huge exhibit then I can kind of do whatever I want um And so when I kind of like go in and out of feeling like um, I could make art in the way that I want versus like feeling this pressure to perform in a certain way, I always kind of remember that of like, he was literally showing his toenail clippings. So I can, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Do you find because of your popularity, like on Instagram and like we've been talking about, about like the um, kind of giving people what they want and versus um, what you want to do. Um, it can be, Instagram can be like really exhausting. I think you briefly touched on that in that packet that you sent us. Um, and it kind of just had me thinking about the alternative, um, to Instagram because so many artists lately are struggling with the constant change in, um, like formula that Instagram puts out the algorithm. Um, and it, yeah, just kind of had me thinking like, what would be the alternative? Because it's such a resource. It's like ingrained in artists now that you have Mm -hmm. to put your work towards Instagram to like gain a popularity or get out there or become um, more successful internationally or nationally and not just in your area. And I was like, well, there's only fans, but that seems to be like deemed very for a very like specific genre. And I just, yeah, it had me thinking of like, what would be the alternative if we became so exhausted with Instagram that we had to do something else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know about like what specifically would be an alternative. I feel like, yeah, that's the thing that was coming to mind was OnlyFans, which I've never used. Um, And I don't know if people also use Patreon, Mm -hmm. um, but I've never really like, honestly, I've never even been on either of those websites once. Yeah. I don't know. The thing that I really try and do is just like ignore all of that stuff. And it's like, you're always going to, even if you know the specific formula to like what the algorithm is like on Instagram or whatever it is, like, I just, I feel like it's, it only exhausts you to pay attention to those things. Mm -hmm. And I think there has to be a way to like, yeah, use Instagram because it is such a 
great way to get your work out there and to get your like to grow an audience and to you know have people internationally viewing your work mm-hmm. and, and things like that and also for free like you don't have to pay to totally. put your stuff on Instagram um, but at the same time I feel like yeah you have to be able to not somehow find a way to not focus on those things um, yeah so a roundabout way to answer your question <laughs> no, it's okay yeah I mean yeah it feels like when I think about it the biggest issue that I'm having with Instagram and not even because I'm posting content that's like being censored but like is when I'm seeing people post content that's like constantly being censored or shadow banned and then I'm like a little bit on it's upsetting. I mean, not to me, because I'm again, I'm not posting that type of content, but it, it does seem like it's like censoring art. So it's like picking the art it wants to see, you know? Totally. And it's like, I, I also read something once before I started this account, I did all of this research on what you need to do to grow a following. And I remember seeing this point that I feel like is true because that's what I've noticed with my account is like within the first hour whoever like the interactions you have within the first hour essentially dictate like how well that post is going to do yeah um and so it's like on top of the actual content that you have it's like well then what time of day are you posting it at and who's engaging with it and who's on at this time Mm -hmm. and it's like it really just takes away from like what you're actually posting because there's so many things to consider yeah, I did actually, I, sat, I recently, I think I either saw like a TikTok or something about that, but it was like saying like in the first 10 minutes, if it sees over a certain amount of people, then it pushes it out to more people. And then that's how it happens within like, again, so if it sees like more than I think 15 accounts within the first 10 minutes or 15 people like it, then it'll push it out to more accounts that aren't necessarily getting it in its like feed right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, I mean, I see, I have followers that I like forget I'm following. Because you never see them. <laughs> no. Yeah. Me too. And then that there's that random day where they show up and you're like, oh yeah, I haven't seen you in six months. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I find that's even with people that you engage with quite a bit on the platform. Like, mm. like rainy stuff doesn't pop up on my stuff. Like first when it's posted, it's like influencers things and like paid advertisements and people I don't engage with very often or mm-hmm. not as much or in the right. same way. I mean, and maybe that's what it, maybe because those like influencer um, posts are getting because of their, I mean, um, their growth, maybe because they're getting so many likes within that like first minute, that's it's that's why it's pushing it out right. first, right? Like we talked about, but it is strange. Like I find I really have to go through my follower or like who I'm following every like two weeks. And I'm like, why am I following this person? Like, I don't yeah. want to like watch them. Why? I haven't seen their shit in forever. Like, you know, like <laughs> I have to kind of like reevaluate like what, <laughs> who I'm following on Instagram through the I love unfollowing people (laughs) (laughs) why do you why do you like it so much because it just like it's it's just like a cleanse of like yeah realizing I don't know like even for example I in um I wrote about this on my account but in October I went through a breakup and at that point I like followed all of these like relationship therapists and Mm. all of these I was like at that point very much like blaming myself Mm. and now I'm like in a totally different place and so I just unfollowed all of those accounts that felt like they were really making me blame myself for what happened and so it's just like as you kind of yeah your interests change you whatever seeking out like different reasons to use social media it's like okay goodbye I don't need to see that anymore (laughs) yeah totally sometimes like you you're unlike too or unfollow will feel like you're doing so much you're like "Mm," sticking it to the Mm -hmm. where it was and then it's like you're it's not 
it does nothing. And I, I literally just mean that to like the Kardashians whenever I like, I recently in like the past 40 months, like unfollowed all of them. Cause I was like, I don't need this in my life. And also like, I don't really like enjoy what they stand for. I was really just following them. I think to like, I don't know, just like for like news updates. I don't know why I was following them, but I like unfollowed them and it just felt like, so like, I was like, yeah, you know what there I'm done with them. Like, I don't know. It just felt like I was kind of like sticking it to, I don't know to who I guess, but yeah, that's, a, that's something that I've noticed too, is like for a while I was following all of these accounts that would just frustrate me every time I would watch their stories, even like I remember watching Courtney Kardashian stories and she just constantly has all of this like weight loss stuff yes. and all of these like detox things. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to see that. I don't need to be engaged with that. I don't agree with it. And obviously if I like message her about it, she's not going to see it. So <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to unfollow. <laughs> I really love the idea of you messaging her about it though. Being like, this is so unhealthy. <laughs> Have you guys ever been like a little bit drunk and like been like, responded to like a, a influ- not an influencer or an influencer or like a celebrity's a story I haven't but I follow this person on Instagram who always messages all of these men whenever she's drunk at night and like like all of these dudes from like the bachelor and stuff and will just share the random dms that they're never gonna see and it's so funny <laughs> I do love that it, it is. because you get like four glasses of wine in you and you're like do you know who wants to know my opinion about what they're talking about <laughs> busy phillips like she, she would love my opinion right now. Right. One thing I've been doing lately, which is, I don't, I honestly need to stop is I'm so like, I'm very rooted in social justice. I, it's kind yeah. of what my undergrad was in and just like, that's just mm-hmm. like where my thinking is at. And so I'll constantly see all of these things on social media that bother me or that I feel like are problematic. And I've started like messaging people about it, but it's like, then they respond and it's like now I don't want to get into it because it's too exhausting so I'm like I need to stop engaging I need to just unfollow (laughs) yeah yeah sometimes it's hard because sometimes it's like the like you were talking about like you are following them and you like don't even like their stories but it's like an addiction because you're like Mm -hmm. watching and and that's like an interesting part about it as well as like about Instagram is like how addicting it can be but like people that you don't even enjoy or you're just like kind of like watching them for like I don't know. It's like a guilty pleasure, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you get so invested in their lives. At least that's what I find mm-hmm. is that then I'm like, it's like a reality show in a way, but this like faster paced, real time reality show. Mm-hmm. And to like unfollow them is to like stop watching their life, but you're already mm-hmm. invested. I don't know. It's like, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Are you one of those people that posts and like ghosts like leaves and doesn't read the comments and comes back later yeah honestly I don't really use Instagram <laughs> that much anymore which is funny mm-hmm. um I I totally do that I just post like I go on I, I do post stories mm-hmm. um and that is one thing that I do specifically mostly for the algorithm because I notice if I don't post stories then my posts don't get seen right. um but yeah I'll definitely like make a post and then return in like 30 minutes and check the comments and respond and then check later um but I never scroll on my feed on Instagram like ever really? which is funny because that's what people need to do to see my posts but yeah yeah uh are there any accounts that you that you're like obsessed with right now that have to do with like that you just like really are like you'd be like go follow these people because they're really good 
Um, there's definitely some artists I love. Uh, I think one of my favorites, I'm pretty sure I want to check, but I think it's Filthy Ratbag is her. I know it's pretty funny. <laughs> She's an artist I love. Mm-hmm. Um, Tara Booth, I really like. These are all artists. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like Ambivalently Yours is their handle. Okay. Um, and then David Trigley. I love David Trigley. There's probably some more. Like I follow a bunch of now um, like therapy accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing my master of social work now. So I'm like wow. really, I do learn a lot from Instagram, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the ones that come to my mind. Yeah. I did do like a cleanse um, and I promise we're going to stop talking about Instagram, but like, <laughs> I did do a cleanse, like, I feel like two years ago where I was decided that I was no longer following fitness accounts and I was only following therapy accounts. <laughs> so I like, that. I, I started following, like, I think it's like holistic psychologists and, um, there's a few others, but I literally just like cleansed my, um, follow my following who I was following from like anyone that was like a fitness person. Cause again, like you said, like, wow, I don't need to be like obsessed with a the like cute workout gear they're constantly in the, <laughs> them constantly working out and like eating healthy like that's it's a good I, I mean it's just not a good to have in your life 24 7 right yeah no. diet culture is all over Instagram yeah and it's, that's the thing it's not like being healthy because being healthy looks like a thousand different ways it's like being skinny and being like beautiful I find that like diet fitness culture which is all over Instagram totally you know? And being white. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Very much. They're, yeah. And I'm, and they're mostly like small petite people to start with. Like, I'm like, it's not, yeah. it's not yeah. hard for you to look good. Or like, I mean, I'm, I'm probably being mean, but. <laughs> my, um, <laughs> That's how we all feel as we eat salt and vinegar chips in our bed. <laughs> Don't um, I have a question about your master's in social work, Aisha. So your undergrad was in social justice or like you focused on what in your undergrad? Yeah, my undergrad was, it was, the degree was called, like I did a double major in women and gender studies and equity studies. And so essentially it's basically a social justice degree. Yeah. Um, And then when did you decide to go to your master's? Quickly after or? Um, I did one, I took two years off. I mean, one year I, I worked and then the second year I did a college program it was called health and wellness coaching which was sent it was like similar to therapy but not quite um and then I decided to go into my master's cool um do you find that there's like this connection or what connection do you feel between the art that you make and studying therapy or social work I should say yeah that's that's a good question and also one I'm like still kind of trying Mm -hmm. to figure out I think for a long time I felt like I there were so many different parts of me that were so disconnected and so there was like this big struggle for me of like well if I post this on my Instagram and I post my face and I post myself in my bed or I post myself brushing my teeth like how is that going to impact me doing therapy and it felt like I had to have these things so separated and I think like since starting my master's I've kind of I don't know if like I've on one hand made peace with the fact that like everyone has so many different parts of themselves that might not necessarily like mesh perfectly or that are contradictory. Mm. Um, And on another side of that, I also feel like I'm, I've moved away from this assumption that like to be a therapist, you have to have a clean internet, like a clean slate on the internet, or you have to be this like totally professional person. Cause that's not even who I would want to be as a therapist. Like I want to be authentic. I want to be transparent. I want to be human. I do make mistakes. I don't have all the answers. And so 
I think um, me allowing like my art and and like wanting to be a therapist to exist as like two different things has in a way moved them closer together without having to think about it because I just put myself into both of them organically mm-hmm. um, and then suddenly like my art has like kind of like therapy undertones or even like mental health undertones and then my in like my therapy practice I will probably somehow bring art in and um mm-hmm. yeah cool that was my next question was if you're going to bring your art into your therapy practice probably like I don't know if I will do it directly um also I'm uh technically the way it works is like you have to do an art therapy degree right. to only practice art therapy mm-hmm. Um, although with social work, it's kind of blurry what you can do. Like really you can do a lot of things. So I don't know for sure. Maybe like in the future, if I ever do private practice work, I will like do some art things. I definitely want to do some sort of group. Um, but I don't know, like to what extent art will come into my therapy practice. Do you have a specific type of client that you're, that you want to work with in your practice? Um, Yes and no. Yes, because I feel like all of my experience has been very specific. Like I've done a lot of work with eating disorders and um, yeah, like eating disorders through an antidepressive lens. So like looking at how eating disorders are impacted or like are experienced by racialized people or how eating disorders intersects with like gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, a lot of my experience has been with eating disorders. I also... I'm really interested in working with trauma, which is mm-hmm. super broad because you could essentially say that everyone has experienced trauma. Right. Um, but yeah, doing like some sort of trauma informed work. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? No. Yeah. Uh, I was just, I was just interested about. Yeah. Yeah. We actually interviewed um, someone who also did their art therapy for, uh, mm-hmm. and um, it was like very interesting to hear um, how she, how she did that degree and she's working there for in, yep. right? in a hospital yeah. yeah yeah in sick kids I think oh wow she, yeah our therapy is like picking up traction yeah. she specifically works or maybe it's not sick kids uh she specifically was working and doing her master like her research thesis or like final project um in bereavement so mm. and specifically right. kids that have lost a parent mm-hmm. so lots going well, on there yeah <laughs> yeah heavy work yeah yeah, it does. See, it's there's lots of different sectors of therapy because you're doing your master's in social work right now, but you would still have to do. A, you're still going to have to. It's more school after this, right? No, it's not. That's the interesting thing oh. about social work is with a lot of like I don't know. I could be totally getting this wrong. So, <laughs> if anyone's listening and knows that this is wrong, sorry. Um, but I think <laughs> with like psychotherapy and stuff, you do your degree and then you have to do some sort of like brief course to become registered or whatever it is Mm -hmm. like there's still a certification process after but with social work you get your master's and then you all you have to do is like fill out a form to get registered and then you can really do so many things you can go into like policy work you can do Mm -hmm. private practice therapy you can work in an organization um yeah yeah my like longest friend um is did social work and she works for the government in um family so like oh, yeah, yeah for, with like kids and family social work um and she like loves it but she did her her master's in it and then I think she did like a year of 
working in the field that they have to do I'm assuming your master's oh, interesting yeah but it is it's like a it's like a very it, I mean it was a really it's a hard degree to get from like my understanding of it and it's like really intense and you you really do kind of have to have this like kind of clean bill of slate and be like very precautious of like what you're posting and from when she would describe it to me but you seem mm -hmm. like you were saying it seems to be changing a little bit like you don't really need to have a clean yeah I think it's like it's it really depends like there are some schools that are a lot more like clinical mm -hmm. and yeah. by that I mean kind of more like traditional and more um I guess like like professional or medicalized in a way and then there's some schools or like some frames of thought that are more like progressive and critical and a little bit more relaxed in terms of like having to uphold all of these specific um, things like professionalism and stuff. And so I'm kind of leaning towards the more critical side of things where, yeah, I don't necessarily think you need like a fully clean slate. And mm. um, it honestly, my degree wasn't that intense. <laughs> to be honest, I feel oh, like really? I learned more in my undergrad. Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, it really depends mm -hmm. on, on the school, I feel, and on your instructors. And mm -hmm. yeah. I think you mentioned something in your in your packet about um, like the word you describing yourself as an artist mm -hmm. and how um, you kind of had like you are an artist people are artists if they're doing work um, and it just made me think about um, like the name artist is it do you think that it's like a self-described title or is it a profession or is it both and like where does mm -hmm. the word sit and why do people consider themselves artists struggle with like that imposter syndrome because uh, we talk to lots of different artists that like really struggle being like I'm an uh, uh, I, uh, I draw things or like uh, I dance or you know they they struggle with that title and, and I kind of wonder about why that is yeah um I totally think that has to do with imposter syndrome like you said um and yeah, I guess like even I've, ex I've totally experienced this before of like just not feeling like my art was like good, like quote unquote good enough or like it wasn't, um, you know, I've, I didn't go to art school. I don't know, I don't know professional like things about art. I don't know about color theory. I don't know about whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I've just like make what I like. And I think um, you can totally fall down the trap of like thinking that you have to have certain, like a certain, um, I don't know, like certain knowledge or you have to have certain expertise to be able to call yourself an artist. But I guess the way that I have like come to use that term to define myself is by just like reminding myself that I am the one that gets to define what art is and I'm the one that gets to define even myself. And so like someone else can look at my art and not maybe define it as art, but because I've called it art or I've defined myself as an artist, I think that that's like no one else can label you for you like at least accurately mm -hmm. um right and yeah I guess it also just again like moving away from just these like prescribed ideas of what it means to be something and I think even like I remember like going to art galleries as a kid and seeing paintings in like contemporary art galleries of like literally a circle on the wall I'm sure like if you guys have been to any art gallery you've yeah. seen that and it's like those people can were they were in like the AGO or you know like they considered <laughs> yeah. themselves artists so yeah 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 it is like this weird thing where sometimes people who people that don't live in the art world or don't have like as much respect for the art world sometimes often are like don't recognize how much art is actually all around them mm -hmm. so when they like when they're like is this art I don't know or what's this and you're like well everything you kind of see 
you're like immersed in in the world has like some art some artists um like touch on it right yeah um so I did you guys see this thing that's like kind of been going viral for a while it's this the they rated like all the essential jobs versus all the like non-essential jobs (laughs) in like the newspaper article or like I I don't think I saw that oh and then like artist is like 70% non-essential and someone's like done a graphic for it (laughs) and they're like it takes a graphic designer to make this and you're calling it non-essential it was like it was just like a lot of things I mean a did the newspaper the newspaper I mean we all recognize like I mean, at this point that like, we're not, we're not healthcare workers, you know, I don't think the newspaper needed to like throw it in our faces with a cute graphic and the percentage of artists that aren't working right now. But also like no one would be surviving this whole pandemic without things like movies or, you know, like that's, you could say that that's art too. What would people do without TV or like, yeah, 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 exactly. So that's like one of my biggest like anger points about this whole thing. I'm like, you're calling, you're literally calling hundreds or millions of people around the world unessential yet consuming all of our stuff nonstop 23 hours a day like seven days a week Mm -hmm. like let's Mm -hmm. do this all again and if we're unessential and can't work you also don't get access to any of our stuff yeah totally no tv for you (laughs) no tv no books no movies no instagram Instagram, no no, yeah you don't get to pick also like pick up a new artistic hobby because now you have time you don't get to either (laughs) totally (laughs) this makes me so angry (laughs) right (laughs) but I mean it the thing about you were saying um Aisha about like you didn't go to school for art so you sometimes you felt at one point that you were like what do I I don't know like all these like history or these backgrounds I think sometimes that can also hurt um like emerging artists or like Mm -hmm. young um, artists because they can get so caught in their thought process about trying to do the theory and like what the theory means and work in like the theoretical way that's proper and that we've been told for for years that this is how it works and I think that that often that like ends up creating really like bad work when you're younger because you're so focused on looking at the history of it and looking at things in like a very theoretical way Mm -hmm. so I mean yeah it is interesting because you didn't go to art school so like like you said you're you're unsure about or you were unsure about how that like described you as what you do, but your work is like so wonderful and so colorful and it's helping people. That's why, you know, it's built such a big following um, that it'd be weird not to consider you an artist, right? Mm. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think it can go either way. It's like on one hand, if you don't have this like um, like professional knowledge or whatever, it can be liberating because you're not constrained by anything. And then on another hand, if you, do have it maybe that can like help validate for yourself that you are an artist because you know you know things or whatever you know right totally Mm -hmm. yeah that's actually a good point I have a question about like the style that you started drawing in and how you kind of like found your way into what your art looks like right now like color choice and composition does that make sense yeah totally um so I started this account before I even had a tablet or ever tried digital art. Okay. Like I started it, um, I guess like a year, just over a year ago now. And um, 
at this point I was still drawing in sketchbooks and I would just like scan what I had drawn and post them. And I remember thinking like, I've been drawing for so many years and I really just want to like get it out there, but I didn't know what it, I wanted it to look like. So I was just like, I'm just going to do it. It's going to be hideous <laughs> at first. It's the scans are going to be bad quality. I was literally using like a 10 year old random printer <laughs> to scan my art with. Um, and I just like wanted to get anything out there. And then I honestly really impulsively one day bought a tablet and just like had no idea how to make digital art had no idea what I like wanted my style digitally to look like but again I was just like just get something out there and I honestly think it was just through like allowing myself to just like put work out there that I didn't feel great about or put some a style out there that didn't necessarily feel 100% like my style allowed me to then like find it because I just the pressure was off like right. it was my worst work was already out there and now as I was like gaining more experience I could just evolve um and yeah so I don't know if there was like necessarily a point where I was like oh I'm this is like my style now it was kind of just like you know what I've been doing this for a while I don't love it I'm kind of tired of all white or I'm tired of drawing skies which is what I was doing before mm-hmm. um and I just like experimented one day and of course also like you're influenced by what you're seeing so like yeah. I was looking up other artists and stuff um and I just like fell into this like honestly like child like um yeah like style and it just like mm-hmm. felt right it, it wasn't really like a formula to it I just tried it and I was like okay I kind of like this and it's kind of evolved over time but not that much your choice of color is really interesting as well because you kind of you have stuck to certain colors I've mm-hmm. noticed like um you kind of find one and then it, you build it in slowly and it comes in and it's it's there um do you are you picking I'm just like interested because ever since we talked to Oksana Curran mm-hmm. she talks yes. about how she's mixed her colors mm-hmm. like herself do you mix those colors or are you because you're using a tablet so are you mm-hmm. how does the how does that work on the tablet yeah so this is the one area that I'm like very particular about mm-hmm. is the colors like to me I could draw the most simple like or messy or whatever thing could look like nothing but if the colors are nice then I like it Mm -hmm. if the colors feel off and I don't have a form like I just I just look at it and I'm like "Ah, I kind of hate that or I Mm -hmm. like that Um, but yeah so the colors are the thing that I feel like is the most important to me and I guess honestly most of the time I just use there's like a standard color set Mm -hmm. and then there's also like a bunch of different color sets on the tablets there's like a gray tones or there's like a lighter tones or Mm -hmm. pale tones or whatever they are Um, And I've just found my favorite different colors. And then you can also adjust the like gradients of it or the, Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's called, like how dark or how light it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I've made my own palette. And so then now I have like just my favorite colors that I feel like go together nicely. And I'm always like picking and choosing from those. And then I'll like, like you said, kind of slowly add in, like recently I did, I used a green background and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, (laughs) but I'll just leave it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, kind of just over time deciding what I like. Yeah, I was interested because you mentioned it was like, it does have like childlike tones to the work and it kind of reminds me of like crayons, like the, what would mm. be in like the crayon box when you were younger. Remember when you used to have those like huge, like yeah. 50 packs of crayons like, and there'd be like all the colors. <laughs> it's like a flex to have the big one, you know? Yeah. I have 50 and I'm yeah. just 24. <laughs> or like the like 10 pack of like just the primary <laughs> colors. <laughs> Yeah, it, it actually is the crayon tool that I use. Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> yeah, I thought maybe I just didn't want I didn't know. <laughs> no, definitely crayons. <laughs> so Aisha, I've no, like on your Instagram, you're posting 
roughly once a day or like multiple times a week, um, which is quite a big volume in terms of like how much content and how much you're drawing and how much you're working. Because you are in school for social work right now, do you think that there's going to be, do you think about if you're going to have time to do that on top of working and creating a practice? Totally. Um, yeah, I think like it, it doesn't, honestly, it doesn't take me that long to draw like or to make a drawing um I'd say like most I spend on one is like 20 minutes I mean it really depends on like if I have an idea I can draw it in like five minutes but Mm -hmm. most of the time is me sitting there thinking like what am I going to write on this or what am I going to draw on this um but often once I kind of like get in the groove I'll make like five drawings at once and then I really do try and post once a day um and I feel like I have been posting once a day for the majority of the year which is wild but um Yeah, I honestly don't know how or if I will be able to maintain it um, once I start working full time, especially because I like always post in the mornings. I usually post it around 10. Mm -hmm. And so then that's obviously when I'd be working. Um, And yeah, so I don't know what's going to happen once I start working. Um, And I'm going to try my best to keep posting, but I feel like there will definitely be a shift. Um, Yeah. Do you think that your practice or not your practice, sorry, that's, I'm using that word like kind of in two different ways. Um, do you think that your style or account might change when you become certified because you're able to kind of um, move into that realm of like Instagram um, therapy? Mm. Like, um, does that make sense, sorry? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah. I've been thinking about that and I think like the style that I was doing more before, like right before um, what I'm doing now, definitely had more like therapy content to it. And even like I would do longer captions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I kind of moved away from that was one, because it's just way more time consuming to not just like make really easily consumable art. It, it does take a lot of time to write the captions. Yeah. And um, I don't remember what the other reason I was going to say was, but I feel like I pr- probably won't end up making it more into like therapy because yeah one it's super time consuming and I think I don't know I don't really have an answer to this to be honest no, I that's okay like, I was just wondering because there, yeah. there is that because there is a lot of like therapy accounts that are that are posting like words that are really helpful or they have different ways of like formatting to post and because yeah. you already have that like artistic background I just thought there was like an interesting connection between being able to post that content through Instagram and like a lot of people like you said are following these like psychologists I feel like indirectly sorry I cut you off no 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 no. I was done speaking anyway (laughs) I was gonna say I feel like definitely indirectly it'll impact like the content of Mm. of the drawings and stuff and I also do notice that like when I get more engaged in school I even just like on my stories and stuff will be posting more social justice related content or even like therapy related Mm. content like sharing other people's work Um, So I think it'll like impact my account in that way, but I don't know if like the actual content of my drawings will like explicitly change. Yeah. And because like, like we said, like those, that algorithm is changing. It's like, it gets concerning about, and because you're going to be busy working in your field, it gets concerning about like, how can you keep up with, with the, with the algorithm or with like the Mm. amount, the kind of like the equation that it takes to, to maintain popularity or. I don't know if that even matters to you, but yeah, no. And it's also even just like hard in general to just plan for the future right now, obviously. And like one thing that I really wanted to do was 
open a uh, shop and like start selling prints, which I like did mm -hmm. super casually, but with the lockdown and also I wanted to start making and selling paintings, but art stores are closed and I don't want to buy paints online. And so and it's you're just busy. Like, like, yeah, and I'm busy. <laughs> and you're dealing with the pandemic and in school. Yeah, so. that too, that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like all of these plans that I had kind of haven't been able to come to fruition. And so I just like don't know where this account is going in the future. And I'm, I think I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm always interested to when to like how people get to the point of calling themselves into interdisciplinary because being a dancer for so long and then going to school for dance and then trying to move through the world and trying to call yourself other things it's for my personal struggle has been like <clears throat> when do when am I allowed to call myself something else so when did you find that place of calling yourself an interdisciplinary you know Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I honestly think it was probably when I was in undergrad, I feel like, mm. and that's when I got super into writing. Mm. And honestly, I kind of just throw that word around. Like I just loosely use all of these labels <laughs> <laughs> and I don't really pay attention to what they actually mean. Um, but yeah, like once I started getting super into writing and then this was like more in like academic writing and then I got into poetry and then I kind of combined the two, like it was like drawing and writing. And I just felt like, um, yeah, I just like felt like I wanted to do so many things and, you know, like doing, even just like working, doing digital art. And then I also like to paint and I also like to use watercolors and acrylics and whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess just like, yeah, validating that all of these different things were different types of art. And so then mm -hmm. I could just call myself an interdisciplinary artist because it sounded better. <laughs> yeah, there are so many terms. <laughs> There's so many interesting terms like that people can use. And it's always so interesting to me. Like, I mean, the basis of it just being like artist, like, like we mm -hmm. talked about, like, when do you kind of describe that? Is that like a self-described? Is it a profession? Like, when you're filling out government forms, I guess, do you put like artist, do you put painter, do you put dancer? Um, but there are all these like terms like interdisciplinary, transdisciplinary, bidisciplinary, like it's, there's so many. And at some point, I'm just like, why are we creating these terms? Like, why can't we just stick with like the main organic mm -hmm. one, which is like artist or cross like an artist can be like many different things and it can be like crossing fields. And I, yeah. I don't know, it's just always so interesting to me why we have all these different kind of like made up I mean all words are made up but like made up terms for for what like our, what type of artist we are to describe ourselves yeah and one thing that that reminds me of that I remember my mom said this to me once and I've always reminded myself of it is that this was when I was like just starting to sell prints and I was trying to decide how much to price them at mm. and she told me that like you're not just selling the product you're selling all of the your years of experience that yeah. have led you to make this and I think that's the same with like identifying as an artist or an inter interdisciplinary interdisciplinary artist now I yeah. can't pronounce it <laughs> like all of your life experiences and all of the different art forms you've ever tried even not even excelled at but have impacted like the way you're producing this art or all of the movies you've watched or whatever and so I feel like everyone is an interdisciplinary oh my god that word <laughs> interdisciplinary interdisciplinary <laughs> artist um, oh my gosh yeah because there's so many factors that always influence you so yeah yeah the discussion around labels is so interesting right and I I'm going to pull it back to what I always say is that to like to define yourself I think is something that is unique in our like Canadian arts landscape because 
there's such a big granting landscape that you have to define yourself to be able to apply for grants and to get money mm-hmm. and then to continue to work forward. And I find that like lots of people don't work in multiple fields because then it's harder to explain your work or it's harder to define your work in a way that's consumable for a jury of your peers to then give you money to continue to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then sometimes you have to just like draw on these terms you don't actually identify with, but just yes. for the purpose of like, yeah, receiving money or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I blame everything on grants or the lack, yeah. of, <laughs> the lack of money in our art system in Canada. Totally. <laughs> um, well, we do have one last question for you, okay. Aisha. Corinne, do you want to ask it or do you? You, go you ask it. it. You, you never yeah. ask it. You go. Okay. <laughs> is being an artist fucking killing you? Um, I would say being an artist is and isn't fucking killing me. Um, I would say it definitely was at one point. And I think kind of like what I was talking about in the beginning in terms of like feeling the pressures and, and having this like pull to change what I'm doing for like an audience. I think that is, has definitely like attempted to kill me in the past (laughs) because it's just so exhausting and draining and just takes away all of the fun and creativity out of your work. And also like all of the authenticity um, too. It really feels like you begin creating for other people, which I don't think should ever be the motivation. Um, But I would say it's no longer killing me because I really do feel like I've gotten a good grasp on just really trusting what I want to create and remembering that like, if I do go down the path of creating for other people, I end up miserable and I end up feeling unfulfilled and uninspired. Um, so I am happy to say it's no longer killing me. <laughs> Yay, that's good. So nice. Um, yeah, your story in your like email, I was like, it doesn't have to kill you. Like okay, we want to know, we want to know it all. And it's so nice to talk about, yeah. you know, nice or not nice things, but like, mm-hmm not be such downers all the time right well I think the, ge- the general consensus is that, that that is the question we ask but I mean yes it, it is often not the we all understand that it's not like we wouldn't be doing it if we were actually dying hopefully you know totally. I mean we're all dying yes we are all dying <laughs> um I should people want to find more of your work or buy a print or check out a website where can they find you yeah, so right now, just on Instagram at Aisha Draws Things is my handle. Um, and then Aisha Draws Things at gmail.com is my email. But I am planning, hopefully, on opening a shop, which would be Aisha Draws Things.com in the next like month or two, which would mean March or April. Cool. Um, so hopefully, there too. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank it's you so both nice. for having me. This is fun. You. This Good. is my first podcast interview, so thanks. <laughs> Welcome to the we world. In person, and we have like snacks, and it's just a little bit more, yeah, it's just very different experience, but <laughs> such is the pandemic life. You could have done chewing ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think- Corinne is legendary for her chewing <laughs> ASMR. She <laughs> always has like a full mouth plus a snack and is like asking a question. I'm like... and it's usually something crunchy like an apple or something (laughs) thank you everybody for listening if you have any questions or if you want to let us know what you thought go to um our instagram send us a dm go to our facebook send us a message leave us a review on itunes follow us on spotify go anywhere you can find a podcast and thank you so much thank you thanks